Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Amen, amen. Thank these guys. Man, I'm so excited for our youth ministry and all that God is doing. And then uh, Randy, Cece, and then Builder Ben. Did you guys see Builder Ben up here? Builder Ben is my boss. Did you know that? I better be careful how I talk about Builder Ben. But Ben Apple be the lead pastor of our church. He's willing to go in a classroom and teach kids today because of his passion for this vision over here called Generational. Watermark's about building a generational community that flourishes through God conversations and the authentic love of Christ. We care about the next generation. We care about your kids, we care about your students, and we care, as somebody who's an old guy around here, about all the young folks in the room here. And I'm so excited to be with you and have a chance. I lead a young couples ministry in my house. And my wife and I have been married for 40 years, get to train and teach younger couples. And we're just so excited about that because that youth, that vibrancy just brings us alive again. And so there's something, what a blessing about a generational community. So we're glad you're here today, online guests, in person. We're excited about this series that we're in called Christian versus Disciple. And immediately when I say that term, it maybe sparks a question. What do you mean Christian versus Disciple? And we want to talk about that because within the church and outside of the church, there's a lot of confusion around these terms. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is this disciple thing? What is this all about? And last week, Ben uh, opened the series, and he started to define the terms from the Bible, because we wanted to define the terms biblically. What does the scripture say about these words, Christian and disciple? And I want a little quiz for you. For those of you who were here last week, if you remember Ben's message, if we did a word competition in the Bible, a word competition, and the disciples went against the Christians, who would win? If we did a word competition in the Bible and we put the disciples against the Christians, who would win? Christian versus disciples. Anybody remember? Disciple. You guys listened last week. Why is that true? Well, it's just interesting, and a lot of people don't know this fact, is the fact that the term discipleship is mentioned 269 times in the New Testament. 269 times. The term Christian... Give it to me, it's only mentioned three. Wow, I'm a Christian, and it only talks about me three times in the Bible? Well, what does that mean? What are we talking about here this morning? Well, we're talking about the fact that when you open the scriptures and you apply them to their lives, Jesus came to make disciples. He didn't come to make Christians. What? That's kind of offensive, right? I'm a Christian. Jesus came to make disciples? Yes. The New Testament, the Old Testament, the Bible is a book written about disciples, by disciples, for disciples. Discipleship is the calling of the church. At Watermark, we want to be faithful to the call of Jesus on our life. And this is what he said to his church. Go into the world. Go out and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How's the church doing? How's the American church doing about making disciples, right? How are we doing? 
with this command and call of Jesus on our lives. Well, the term disciple is a powerful term in the scripture. And what does it mean? It means somebody that believes because we're baptizing people into belief. What does that mean? I get baptized because I believe in Jesus. Baptism is a statement of my faith. It's a picture of going into the water and coming out of the water, being placed into the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, and when I put my faith in him, I'm placed into his death. I die. My sins are paid for. I'm forgiven. But God doesn't leave me there, right? He brings me out of the water, right? And I come out of the water with resurrection light, just like he came out of the grave. I come out of the grave with me, with him, and I'm going to have new life. That's belief. But what does it say also? It says that belief is attached to behavior. Those people that choose to be disciples, right, have belief, but then they pursue a life of behavior. And what does that life look like? It looks like Jesus. A disciple is somebody that intentionally pursues following Jesus in order to become like him. Right? I believe in Jesus, but I start the process of becoming like Jesus, and I start to learn how to live like Jesus lived in the world today. I follow Jesus in order to become like him. That's a disciple. That's what Jesus came to build. That's what the church is supposed to build. Is that what we hear in America? I don't think so all the time. And I'm confessing my own mishaps here. Because many times I've given a sermon and said, you want to accept Jesus? Just pray a prayer, right? And say yes to Jesus. He'll forgive you sins and I'll give you a ticket to heaven. Jesus died for me so I can get a ticket to heaven. I love that. Does everybody love that? I love it. And then people walk out and they think they're, they're, they're Christians, right? But that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't say in Matthew, as we're going to get into the gospel of Matthew, guess what, pray a prayer and I'll take you to heaven when you die. Jesus says heaven is today. The kingdom of God is right now, right here. Eternal life happens right now, right? Eternity is right now in session. Follow me and learn to live under eternal life. The rule and reign of God right now, right here. Heaven starts today. It doesn't just happen when you die. Jesus doesn't give you a ticket to heaven. Just That's half the gospel. The other half is heaven begins to transform you from the inside out today. And how does that happen? By intentionally following this Jesus and learning how to live like he lived and submitting to his spirit so he forms heaven in your life and out of your life today. That's the full gospel. We've missed some of that. And what does gospel mean? Gospel, I mean, excuse me, what does disciple mean? It's the Greek word mathetes. It's the Greek word for student, apprentice, disciple. Doesn't just say believer, it says the Greek word for student, apprentice, and disciple, right? That's what it's all about, and we forgot to put that in our gospel. I've been a part of big churches. A lot of my life was in the mega church, and we preached gospels, believe in Jesus. 150 people, yes, I believe, I believe. Next week, we're going to have a discipleship class. Guess who shows up? Five people. There's something wrong with the way we preach the gospel. There's something wrong with we understand Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. And as we move towards Easter, as we focus on his death and resurrection, we want to understand what does it mean to respond and follow him? Who is he? What is his call in our lives? And what does it mean to follow him? It means to be his disciple, his learner, his student. 
his apprentice. Now, the term Christian biblically is not a bad thing. I'm just kind of making fun of it. But it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. As a matter of fact, the time that it's first mentioned, it was never mentioned by Jesus. It's mentioned after Jesus dies and raises from the dead in the book of Acts, when the church begins to move out of Jerusalem and spread to the Greco-Roman world. And there's a place called Antioch, right, that's up the coast from Jerusalem. As the Christians are persecuted, the first century disciples are persecuted, they move out. And at this place, Antioch, the Jews, right, start to speak to the Greek-speaking culture. The gospel moves from uh, Judaism in its center there, right, in Jerusalem. And they're starting to to spread to the Greek-speaking culture. And guess what? People are accepting and following Jesus. And in Antioch, that's where you have the Apostle Paul and Barnabas teaching and discipling these people. And guess what? It says at Antioch, that's when the disciples are first called Christians. Why? What does Christian mean? Little Christ. These people, these disciples, they look like somebody. They look just like Jesus. Right? It's a nickname given to disciples because they actually look like, they're actually becoming disciples. They're learning how to live like Jesus. And the world goes, those people look like Jesus. I love that. But in America, there's a lot of research that's been given to the term Christian. And most recently, in the last five, six, seven years, there was a big research study talking to the next generation. Maybe there's some next generation folk in here, not my generation. And they said, what, is, what does the term Christian mean in America? And guess what they said? Those Christians, they look like judgmental people. Those Christians, they look like hypocrites. Those Christians, they look like homophobes. That's what the next generation said when they looked at the church who's supposed to look like Jesus. They don't look like Jesus very much. Why? There's a problem with our gospel. It's a gospel about making converts, and I've been a part of that. Let's Let's check off how many people raise their hands. And guess what? If a lot of people check off, I feel really good about my ministry. And my church grows to be big, and I, I got more butts in the seats. And man, the money's coming in, and it's all great. And look, I can check it off. I'm doing my job. I'm making converts. And we grow our churches on converts. And we lose sight of what Jesus came to do and be. He didn't come to make converts. He came to make disciples. And the church is here to make disciples. And I'm going to stand before God and Jesus is going to say, not going to say, how many converts did you make, Bucky? He's going to say, how many disciples did you do in your ministry? And disciples is much a tougher thing as I've been trying to do it for a couple of 10 years, 12 years now. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes life. It takes purpose. It takes effort. And so we want to be authentic with the scriptures and challenge ourselves with Jesus' words, not my words, that he came to call us to be his disciples. Dallas Willard says, that's the problem with the American church, the contemporary church. Dallas Willard, great books, read a lot of them. He's since gone to home to be with Jesus, but here's what he said when he looked at the problems of the American church and our gospel. Most problems in the contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have never decided to follow Jesus. Right? Because a disciple is sort of a spiritual upgrade, right? When I, when I go, to the, go to get a car, I just, want the, I just want the standard model, right? And the standard model is Christian in America. That means you just prayed a prayer, and you said the four, you believe the four spiritual arts, you said a prayer, and now you're going to heaven when you drive. That's the standard model. Upgrade, that's a disciple. That's just for a certain elite people, like maybe the pastors or some of the real people that volunteer. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. That's not biblical, and that's not Jesus, what Jesus teaches or he came to do. All Christians are disciples, and disciples are Christians. There is no 
upgrade. <laughs> it's authentic Christianity is authentic discipleship. They're the same thing. Well, what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody whose life is being shaped by the cross. Right? A disciple is somebody whose life is being saved by the cross. The difference between cultural Christianity, consumer Christianity, and authentic Christianity is the cross. We want to talk about a principle of discipleship that Jesus talked about in all four Gospels. We're going to open the Gospel of Matthew, verses 21 through 28. The thing that distinguishes a disciple is the cross. What does that mean? We want to look at that today. In Matthew chapter 16, it's the middle of the gospel. Jesus is taking it, he's in the middle of his ministry. He's had these 12 disciples that he's called to follow him. He's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven, who he is, what he's calling them to do. And he takes them away from a busy ministry around the Sea of Galilee for a sort of a midterm exam. Anybody have a midterm? Anybody in school here have a midterm exam? You want to do good on the midterms, right? Because that sets up the final, right? This is a midterm exam. Jesus is about ready to go from Galilee to start to focus on Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? The cross. He wants to make sure his guys understand who he is and what he came to do, right? So he's having a little clarifying exercise, a little quiz, midterm pop quiz. And so they go to the place of Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks them a couple of questions. This is a God conversation. This is what we want to build our church around. This is what we want to do on the 23rd when you bring your friends through and they look at this experience of what it means for Jesus to come and die for us. And who is Jesus? We want to have those kind of conversations around the tables with our friends and our co-workers. And this is the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do... Who do people say the Son of Man is? A term that Jesus used for himself many times. Son of Man. I'm the Son of Man. What does that mean? Jesus is referring to himself. Well, who do people say that Jesus is in our world today? What do you guys think? Who do people say Jesus is in Orange County? Who do people say Jesus is in our culture, right? Most popular thing is he's a good teacher. He's a moral man. He's a founder of a great religion. He claimed to be Israel's Messiah, right? And, and the answer that was popular in Israel that day was that you're, you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist has already lost his head, so you're John the Baptist reincarnated. You know, like you're, you're coming in the spirit of John the Baptist. Or you're like one of the prophets of old, right? Elijah or Jeremiah, the great Old Testament prophets. You're a prophet. And then Jesus says, okay. That's what the culture says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is in your life? What has he called you to do? And Peter steps up as the mouthpiece for all the twelve, and he has this profound revelation that he experiences and he tells them that he's come to believe. You're not just a prophet, Jesus, because you know prophets... They're always saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus never says, thus saith the Lord. What does he say? I say. <laughs> You've heard it said, but I tell you. Jesus talks with authority that nobody else had. He's saying, I'm the authority here. That's not a prophet. And then, you know, what the prophets say, this is the way to God. You know, prophets, Muhammad, Confucius, these great religious figures, I'm going to point the way to God. 
Jesus never pointed the way to God. What did he do? He said, I'm the way to God. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I came to make a way. Those aren't the comments of a prophet. You're not a prophet. You're not just a religious teacher. No, no, you're something much more. And Peter understands you are the Son of Man. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so Peter gets an A on the first part of his quiz. Bingo! You're the one. You're the Messiah. You're God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. Because, you know, the culture didn't reveal this to you. you. You got this from God. God has revealed. You've got revelation. You understand who I am. And, and, and Peter gets a huge blessing from Jesus because Peter's understanding more about him, right? And, and Peter's a, a Jew, right? He grew up in, in, in this cultural Judaism. And the Old Testament, he steeped in it. He memorized it. He knew it as a child because when you go to school, you go to Torah school. He knew the scriptures. He knew the prophets. He knew all of it. And guess what's happening in Israel when Peter says this? Israel is being oppressed and persecuted by some really evil dudes. Our hearts are torn by what's happening in Ukraine, and it's terrible, good and evil. There's this evil power that's coming in to kill people and dominate, right? Well, that's Rome in the first century. You know, Rome dominated by just taking countries over and destroying them. The peace of Rome was at the, at the edge of a sword. If you went against Rome, man, you, you, you got crushed, and the taxation was terrible, and the Jews hated to be under the boot of Romans. And so, so Jesus is saying, you know, you get it right, Peter. You know, it's the Messiah, but Peter's thinking that you're the Messiah who's going to come to conquer. You're the Messiah who's going to come to overthrow the Romans. You're the Messiah who's going to come to take this tyranny and bring us back to the ancient glory of the Davidic kingdom. You're going to make Israel great again. They got their mega hats on. Make Israel great again. That's what they're saying. And Peter, he's taking a stream out of the Old Testament. And there's a part of the Old Testament that the Jews interpreted. And they got part of it right. This is from the book of Daniel. This is the term son of man. Peter's t- connecting the dots. He's going to get an A on this first question. And here's what Daniel says in his vision. Hundreds of years before Jesus. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the son of man. Jesus' term for himself, a messianic term, right? Encrypted in there. Coming in the clouds of heaven. Whoa. He approached the ancient of days, God, and was led into his presence. So this is, this is a, a, a heavenly figure, right? In human form. A heavenly figure in human form. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. He's given this authority. All the nations and the people of every language are going to worship him. He's God, right? He's a heavenly figure with a human form. His dominion is going to be everlasting and will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Peter goes, man, you're the one, and you're coming to kick butt. We're going to go into Jerusalem, man, and we're going to take over, and we're going, to, we're going to dominate, and we're going to raise a huge military, we're going to get money, I'm going to be in your cabinet in this earthly kingdom, it's going to be glorious, and the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in through the Messiah. Peter's got half of the story right, right? Just like we get half of the gospel right, right? He's got half of it right. And Jesus blessed him, blessed are you, you know? You, on this confession, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and you're going to preach the gospel and lives are going to be changed. So Peter's riding high and then Peter says, this is what it looks like to be the son of man. I am the son of man, but this is what it looks like. And this is when the, the wheels come off of Peter and the disciples. Because what does he say? This is what it means to be the son of man, the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
I'm going to die. I'm the one who's going to go take over. I'm the one who's going to have victory. I am the Messiah, but I'm going to be killed, crucified. I'm going to die. How's that sound? (laughs) Peter's mind's blown. What are you talking about? That's crazy talking. That doesn't make sense. There's no way we're going to win if we die. If you die, there's no way we're going, to, we're going to go unless we're strong and powerful. No way we're going to make it unless we're the one to conquer. What are you talking about? And Jesus is taking two streams of the Old Testament, another stream that nobody ever linked to the Son of Man. And that's the stream of a suffering servant. And Jesus has been teaching, and he's telling, he's showing, I'm not the Son of Man, I'm the suffering servant. And that's how my kingdom is going to come. Through suffering and sacrifice and death. And this is in the book of Isaiah, the servant songs. Both these streams in the Old Testament, how do you put them together, right? I'm going to take the win for sure. I'm, not, I'm going to throw this one on the side. And Jesus says, no, I come together in both these streams because I am the one God sent to do this. And here's the suffering servant. Here's what Jerusalem's going to look like for Jesus on Good Friday when he's, sitting, when he's nailed to a cross. Surely he, Jesus, took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished of God, stricken of him and afflicted, right? He didn't have any earthly success. He looked like a failure. He was a failed Messiah. That's what the people thought about him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, peace with God through the death of Jesus Christ. We were reconciled to God. That brought us peace was him, and by his wounds, his stripes, we are healed. That's what it means for me to be the king and for my kingdom to come. I'm going to Jerusalem not for a crown. I'm going for a cross. And Peter does not get it. It blows his mind. And it blows our minds today, even today, when we try to understand what it means to be a disciple. It blows our minds today. And so Peter does what we do. We take God aside and we have a conversation. God, come over here. I want to tell you how it's going to go. This is my business and this is what you're going to do. This is what I need you to fix. And God, here's my marriage, here's my wife, and I need you to fix her a little bit and do some things and use your power to make her the wife that I need to be. So God, here's my agenda. You follow me, Jesus, and I'll tell you what to do with my life. And here's my business. Here's, here's my, my friendships and this guy and this girl I'm dating. Would you just tweak him a little bit and make, and then I might marry him. God, would you just fix this person and give me what I want? Right? See, we accept Jesus when we ask him to follow us. <laughs> Jesus, I want to accept you. Will you follow me to my successful, happy life? And that's not what discipleship is. And Peter starts rebuking Jesus. Jesus, you're not following my plan for my life and the way I want you to be my Messiah. And that is consumer Christianity at its best. And that's what happens all the time. Never, Lord. He said, it'll never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He just gave Peter the greatest affirmation that you could get. And seconds later, Peter goes from the top right down. Jesus, has Jesus ever called anybody Satan but Satan himself? He calls Peter Satan. Because Peter is being influenced by the lies of the culture and human thinking. Just like we get influenced from the lies of the culture and human thinking. And we put that on Jesus. And Jesus loves us enough to confront us and tell us what the truth is about his kingdom and how it means to be his disciple. Get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan tempted Jesus with the same lie. In the early part of Matthew, when Jesus went into the wilderness, Satan comes to Jesus and goes, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Right? And what's Peter saying? Jesus, no. 
we're going to have a kingdom without a cross. See, we want the kingdom without a cross. We want the kingdom, we want all the glory and all the budget without a cross. And it won't happen and it can't happen without the cross. It won't happen, it can't happen without God on the cross for us. And without us following in that life. And so Peter wants a kingdom without a cross. And Jesus says, you're a stumbling block. You're tempting me to do God's will, man's way. That's what we do. We try to do God's will, man's way. (laughs) In our own power, our own strength, our own programs, our own success. Right? And it gets all fouled up. And the church looks at the world and says, and the world looks at the church and says, you're no different than the world. Why would I want to go to church? Why would I follow Jesus by the way you look like? You look just like man. You don't look like God. And that's the problem with our discipleship. You have to do in mind the concern, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And what is the essence of Christian immaturity? Because God loves us right where we're at. We're in this process of growing to become like Jesus. And we all have immaturity, we all need to grow. And what is the essence of Christian immaturity? If we, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we want to be disciples. Well, the lie is that Jesus suffered, so I won't have to. Right? Jesus, Jesus suffered, so I, I will never have to suffer. I'll never have a hard thing in my life. Nothing, nothing ever will go bad and go wrong. Jesus went to the cross, so I'll never have to bear a cross. Yes, Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins, but he's going to challenge his disciples in a second with the cross as well, right? And what about Jesus died so I could be safe, comfortable, and happy? Right? Boy, if I try to convert people with that one a lot of times, because, you know, it sells, you know, it's good. But that's not the reality and the truth of life, and we know that if we follow the path of discipleship, it's hard, and it's a struggle, and it's difficult. It doesn't mean that you don't have suffering and struggle. It means that God is with you, and God is working something eternal in you, as you go through that with him. I love what Bonhoeffer says. Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls us, he bids us to come and die. He bids us to to step onto the gallows. He bids us to let go, right? And let him have full control of our lives. He bids us to come and die. The disciples knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he talked to them, to Peter. Peter, you have in mind the ways of men. And what am I going to challenge you? Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, right? You got an A on the first question, you failed the second one. And if you want to be my disciple, if you want to prepare for my kingdom, if you want to be the person I've called you to be, which you're going to be, the pillar of the church, you need to take up your cross, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, right? A disciple is formed by the cross, Yes, on the cross, Jesus dies and atones for our sins. But then that cross informs the rest of our life and how we pursue life under the kingdom of God. Right? That's discipleship. Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane struggled, right? We all struggle with God's will. It's hard, it's difficult at times. And Jesus said, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Right? And Jesus took the Father's will to the cross. Jesus is using the metaphor for the cross for the Father's will in our lives. Are we willing to die to ourselves and say, thy will be done. I'm following your will. I'm letting go of my will, my control, and my way, and I'm following your will. I'm submitting to you your plans and your will and your purpose for my life. That's a disciple. That's someone that's available and usable as a transforming agent for God in this world. 
See, he's calling us to die to our own will, to our own control, our own agenda, and take up God's will, God's way, and God's time for our lives. I love Dallas Ward. He said, this is how disciples pray. And I would encourage you guys, from now until Easter, as part of your Lenten preparation, maybe you're going to do this, or you might do another one, but I would encourage you to write this prayer. Jesus, I want your will, I want your way, I want your time. Would you be willing to pray that as you prepare your heart for Easter? Jesus, I want your will, your way, and your time in my marriage. I want your will, your way, and your time in my marriage. Jesus, I want your will, I want your way, your time with my kids. Right? It's not about my will, my way, and my time. It's not about my will for them to be successful, power, happy. No, no. I want your will, your way, your time, regardless of what happens. That's the best will for their life is your will. What about your business or your education or your friendship? Jesus, I want your will, your way, and your time. Inform me. I submit. I let go of control of my agenda for this friendship, for my career, for the things of my life, and I trust you. I want your will, I want your way, and I want your time. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be, right? A disciple is someone that prays that the kingdom will come right now, not just when you die, and that his will would be done. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in the Ukraine. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in, in, in America. I want your kingdom to come and will to be done in our politics, in my friendships, in my family. I want your will to be done. And where do we find God's will? Where, where do we find God's will? It's right here. It's written in his word. The Bible says that we are to present our lives to God as a living sacrifice. And we are to allow our minds to be transformed and renewed every day. Not to be conformed to the ways of men, to be conformed to his will, right? So we will know what his perfect will is. We'll prove it and we'll test it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Great verse to look at. That's how we find God's will. We pray God's will. It's by the renewing of our mind. It's our prayers. We're, we're presenting our lives to God. But I just don't want your will. I want your way. And this is what, where it gets even more challenging. Because God's way is not our way. And Jesus said when he talked to his disciples who wanted to be great, we all want to be great in America, right? We all want America to be great again, don't we? We all, we all want to do the best. And Jesus says, you know how the, the leaders of the world do it? You know how Putin does it? You know how Rome does it? You know how America does it sometimes, Right? Right? They lord it over. You know how the, the big guys in the companies, they lord it over, right? It's about their will, their way, their time. And they're willing to oppress. They're willing to do things that's right for them and not right for others. They're willing to do it selfishly and all about them. Well, not so with you. I'm not calling you to be great by lording it over and controlling others. I'm calling you to be great by being a servant. The greatest of all is the servant of all. I didn't come to be served at the Son of Man. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I came to the cross. I'm asking you to take up your cross, die to yourself, and be sacrificial servant love. That's what a Christian is. That's what is sacrificial servant love. I pray and I hope one day the next generation, maybe we've lost a generation, but the next generation that Ben Appleby's ministering to, they'll say, guess what? Those people in this room, they look like Jesus because they sacrifice and they serve and they give their lives for their country. 
right? They give their money, they give their time, they give their talents, they go to the poor, they go to their neighbors, they go to their friends, and they love them and they serve them because Jesus has served them. That's his way. It's the cross. That's the only way his kingdom comes to us. The only way his kingdom is going to come to the world is because of sacrificial, servant, suffering love. And that's what he says. That's my way, Peter. That's how my kingdom is going to come to this planet. By taking up your cross. And you, you want my time, too. No, I want it my time. America's all about our time, right? And Bucky, finish up the sermon because you're going a little late because i got to get to brunch. It's about my time. And do this because i got to be here and i got to be that. And I'm checking my calendar. i got to get this going. It's about my time. And it's a, if it's about your time, guess who's at the center of your life? You are. You're God. And Jesus says, submit your time. Because Jesus says, one day I'm going to return. There's a time I'm going to return. And when I return, I'm not returning as the suffering servant, although I am. I'm returning as the king and the Lord. And guess what? All injustice, all evil, everything that's been done to you is going to be wiped away. And you're going to receive way more than you ever could have imagined in the kingdom of heaven. And there's no more death, sorrow, sir. There's no more wars. There's no more hatred. So will you be willing to wait on my time for me to return? And the early church suffered and died under Roman oppression. And they waited on the return of the king and they served him. And you know what? We're so freaked out. I'm so freaked out. Gosh, you know what? I read the, the End Times magazine, and guess what? Magog is Russia, and so the End Times are here. I know it's Magog, and I know who the Antichrist is. And do not take the mark of the beast. If you take that vaccine, you're going to take the mark of the beast, and you're going to die. And so we're freaked out about trying to take all the pieces and put it together because we're so afraid. And Jesus says, that's not why I told you this. I told you this so when I would return, I would find faithful servants. You don't know the day, the hour of my return. These are birth pangs. It could be another thousand years. It could be tomorrow. The question is, are you ready? Are you willing to wait on my time? Are you ready? Are you willing to serve and sacrifice and give because my kingdom is coming and nothing in this world that you have will ever compare to that? That's what he's asking us for. Not to say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for heaven. I can't wait. I'm just going to do what I want until you get here. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's asking us to give our lives for our neighbors, our friends. To give ourselves away so the people might know Jesus. That's what he's asking us as disciples. And the American church is dying because all we have is Christians that sit in pews. Say, I went to church and checked the box. That's why the American church is dying, because we don't make disciples anymore. And so Jesus is calling us to make disciples. And he says it's necessary. The cross is necessary for discipleship. And here's the ending statement. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses my, his life for me will find it. That's the upside downness of his kingdom. If you're trying to save, self-saving techniques are never going to work. You can't save yourself. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not God. You can't. That's the lie that's always been here. I can save myself through my own goodness by checking a religious box. No, no, you can't. Right? Jesus says you'll lose your life. But if you give your life away for me, you trust in my gospel and my life for you and you spend it on me, you're going to find life. You're going to find eternal life right now. You're going to find peace and purpose. What everybody's looking for in Orange County, you're going to find that in Jesus. Purpose, life, forgiveness, grace, hope, eternity now. And then he says, this is the value of your soul. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? 
There's nothing you could do to buy hen to heaven. Your soul is so precious to God, he bought it for you on the cross. What can you give in exchange for that? That's the greatest thing you have is your eternal life. Why not live for it now, right? What can you give in exchange? It's the greatest thing, the value of a soul. And the souls that don't know Jesus are so valuable, he's asking us to go and love those people. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory, and his reward will be with him. And he will reward us to how we've responded to him, right? To what we've done with the gospel, how we've responded to Jesus. And for those that don't know Jesus, those that don't care, the reward is going to be judgment. But those that do, the reward is going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter my rest, enter my kingdom. And Jesus was quite clear about that. Are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? Have you actually fully given your life to Jesus Christ? You said, Jesus, I'm going to take up my cross and die to myself and follow you. It's not perfection. I struggle with this every day. But the purpose of my life is to learn to die, to give myself away, to learn to be with him in suffering so that I might experience his goodness today. And it's changed my marriage. It's changed my family. It's changed the way I see life. And I pray that it will do for you. I pray that you will take up your cross. I pray for those of you who are taking up their cross would receive encouragement for Jesus today saying, well done, man. Keep going. I'm using you to do something eternal even though the world doesn't see it. I just want to encourage you today. You know, uh, I've been praying for the Ukraine, and we're all praying for the Ukraine, and I love Zelensky. You love Zelensky? Is that guy a great leader? He's an amazing leader. I, I'm praying for them, praying for peace, and Zelensky had this thing everybody, I did too, I jugged up, yeah, I don't need an exit strategy, I just need bullets, right? He's fighting for something. And you know, Jesus said to Peter, I don't need an exit strategy, Peter. I don't need bullets either, though. I need a cross. We don't need bullets, guys. You bring bullets home to your wife and shoot her with your anger and your hatred. When you come home, you don't need bullets. You need the cross. You don't need bullets when you're angry and frustrated with your kids and you're judging them and shaming them because they're not doing what you want to do. You don't need bullets. You need the cross. You don't need bullets in the marketplace when you're trying to compete and shoot down a competitor and all that stuff and get what you think is going to give you life. What you need is a cross and to humbly serve those that you're competing against. And that's the only thing that's going to change America. It's when Jesus' disciples actually take up their cross. We have communion station. We're going to worship, give our lives to Jesus, his body and blood. We remember it. Come and take it at the stations. Grab some friends and pray together if God's called you to. But let's surrender What is he calling you to say, Lord, your will, your way, your time this morning as you come to this table? Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it your money? What is he calling you to say, Lord, I want your will, your time, and your way in my life today? Let's pray for that. Let's pray for peace in the world. Let's pray that we would be ambassadors of peace. Bow our heads. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for challenging us with your cross. I'm so challenged. I'm thankful that your body and blood means that we're all forgiven. But it also means that we're all free. And now you're calling us to freedom by taking up a cross. Not by our own power, our own might and success. By taking up our cross and denying ourselves and asking for your will in our lives. We want your will. We want your way. You want your time as we celebrate you. Fill us and use us. Heal us and make us like you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, 
please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.